The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. The powerful forces of evil are gathering. There is mob action. There is intrigue. Secret meetings, strategizing how to attain their goals of of destruction. Plans for murder. 
plans for the removal of this man, believing that he is unfit to even be alive. Jealousy, bitterness, anger, hatred, self-pity, all are a part of the powerful forces of evil that are gathering. Behind the human heart, the powerful demonic forces that always come when there is violence and mayhem, burning and rioting. It is never flowing out of the heart of God. It is always flowing out of the heart of bitter darkness. Demons from hell come to organize and to propel forward these powerful forces of evil that want to destroy, that want to kill. They have their eyes on an innocent man. His name is Jesus. They intend to murder him. But they want the state to do it for them. They want the Roman government to do it for them. And they know the right buttons to push. Now please, we're going to move forward. First, I need to talk about the evil forces that gathered against Jesus Christ. The evil forces today are gathering once more in America to destroy this nation, to tear it apart. Some of you have been deceived. Some of you in your hearts, if not your feet, are participating in the destruction of the greatest nation that has ever been on the face of the earth. This didn't just happen. The forces of evil have been gathering in America for many years. They gathered first in corrupt government politicians and in school boards and in classrooms and in universities. Our universities in America today are utterly given over to the powers of evil and darkness. Our young people were corrupted and trained in the ways of, of darkness. So we are reaping the harvest now of this corruption in America, and we're going to address that more as the broadcast goes forward. Now I'd like to thank dear brothers in Florida. Gino keeps talking with me about this passage of Scripture. It is such a painful passage that I have tried to avoid it, but it cannot be avoided. It's found in the, in the book of Luke, the 23rd chapter. 
They have taken Jesus from the Garden of Gethsemane where he has faced the bitter struggle of deciding will he offer himself as the atoning sacrifice for our sins? He sweat blood making that decision. It was not an easy decision. He came to destroy the work of the devil. He came to set himself up against the devil and his power and the forces of darkness. And now he's taken. He leaves the garden serene and calm, having made the decision that he will offer himself as a as a sacrifice of atonement for your sin and for mine. They beat him until he almost died. Tremendous loss of blood. A desperate shock to his physical body. He's even unable to carry the cross, even though a very strong man. They grab another man and make him carry the cross. Simon from Cyrene. They came to the place called the place of the skull. I have stood there and I have wept over that place. Because it was there Jesus was crucified for you and for me. But there is such a battle that is so terrifying that I could not even sleep. Verse 33, when they came to the place of the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. (coughs) Pardon me. They had stripped him naked of his clothing. They divided up his clothes by casting lots. Here he is, nailed to a cross, the most painful and desperate torture a man can endure, hands and feet nailed. And now he has to pull himself up against that raw, bloody, beaten back, against that rough timber to gain a breath because Crucifixion is a death eventually by suffocation where a man hanging by his arms, by his hands, cannot with his own strength raise himself up enough to get air into his lungs. He is being sneered at, scorned, cursed, by the leaders of the mob action. But now you have two men, criminals, 
and they must decide what they are going to do with Jesus. They, too, have had their hands nailed to the cross and their feet nailed, and they know they will die. But how will they, in this raw moment of life, how will they respond to this innocent man who was crucified between them? Every man and every woman finally comes to the place where they must decide either consciously or unconsciously what they will do with the crucified Christ. Will they curse him? Or will they bless him? You are making that decision every day by your actions. Are you cursing Jesus every day by your actions and scorning who he says he is? Or are you blessing him every day? They said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Oh, he could have. But had he come down off that cross, we would have been eternally condemned to hell with no chance of salvation. They had written a notice and placed it beside him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who had been hung there beside Jesus with his hands and feet nailed hurled insults using the last breaths he could manage, insulting, blaspheming the Christ. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Bravo. I can't tell you how many times I've stood beside the bed of some bravo, tough guy, cursing and swearing at Jesus as he dies, fighting with all of his power against the influence of Jesus Christ. And I've stood there and watched them die. The other criminal, he rebuked his partner in crime, What were their crimes? Well, remember the story of the Good Samaritan. Coming up from Jericho to Jerusalem, set upon by thieves, beaten, and left for dead. Robbers did that, perhaps even these two. They were heartless men. They were cruel men. They were murderers. They were thieves. They destroyed the innocent. But one criminal, as he watched in horror, as this man was nailed to the cross, and then as he too was nailed to the cross, knowing that they were all going to die, miserable, 
painful, agonizing deaths. He rebukes his partner in crime. He says in verse 41, We are punished justly, for we are getting what our our deeds deserve. So this man sees Jesus and begins to confess his sin. You must either come to Jesus and turn in scorn from him, in cynicism and and arrogance, or you must come confessing your sin. There is no other option. You cannot be indifferent to Jesus. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He has done no wrong. He is innocent. He has healed the sick and raised the dead. It is very apparent to both criminals that this was a good man, an honest man, a holy man. And each has their own response to turn in bitterness and anger, in agony, and curse him. Or begin to confess your sins. Now, if you don't do that now, you will do it one day. When you come before the judgment bar of God, when it is too late, all men will then confess their sin because they will be faced with it. But all men will not face salvation because they confess their sin too late. On that day, no man will turn in scorn from the face of Jesus because he will be filled with glory. But today you see him nailed on the cross as the powerful forces of evil have placed him there. As wealthy Jewish men have sought to have him crucified and have stirred up the mobs with the rioting and the mob action to place Jesus Christ on the cross. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, he has done nothing wrong. And then he says the most unexpected thing. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me. I am guilty. I have done what I am charged with, and I deserve to be crucified. Jesus, remember me. 
Jesus, remember me. I've been singing that song all morning. I woke up singing it. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. Do not pass me by. Every man now has an opportunity to make a decision. Will he curse the Messiah? Will he curse a righteous man? Or will he admit his guilt? Confess that he deserves what is happening to him. Confess that Jesus is righteous and has done nothing wrong. And ask Jesus, please remember me when you come in your kingdom. Jesus answers this man. He does not answer the first man. The first man will go off into utter darkness. He will eventually be cast into the fires of hell. He will come before the judgment bar of God. And he will face that judgment. But this man, who confessed his guilt and confessed that Jesus was righteous and now comes asking that he be remembered in the kingdom. Jesus answers, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, normally... It could take two to three days for a man to die on the cross. But that wasn't to happen. This was a preparation Friday for a special Sabbath. And so they went to the Roman officials and asked that they break the legs of the criminals and of Jesus. Thus, forcing them to suffocate quickly. And it was done. The Roman soldier, wanting to make sure that Jesus is in fact dead, pierces his side with a sword. Those who pierced him will see him come in glory. Blood and water flow from the side of Jesus, indicating that he had died of a broken heart. The other two men, their legs are broken. And that day, he went to be with Jesus in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. The sun stopped shining. The curtain of the temple is torn in two. 
And Jesus calls out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And with that, he could not get another breath. He breathed his last. And he said, it is finished. Jesus did not die as a martyr or as a victim. Jesus died on Calvary as the atoning Lamb of God. And you must make a decision about what you will do with this Jesus. Will you scorn him by your words and your actions? Or will you confess your sin? And will you ask Jesus to remember you? Every man must make that decision. Every woman must make that decision. What is your decision? Now today, we are faced with the violence of the mob. as cities are burned and businesses are destroyed, as the godless and wicked mobs of left-leaning hooligans, criminals, destroy our cities, demanding the defunding of our police, making incredible demands the evil has gathered the evil forces are now coming to bring a grand conclusion but i am yet praying that god will block them and i have been forced to reconsider I am going to share now what I have in way of honest confession and admission. We must face this evil, and we must decide what we are going to do with it. Do we join the mob? Do we join the protesting mob, the burning, the murdering mob, the thugs? Do we join with them or do we stand in power against them? I know in my heart that anything that prevents the gospel of Jesus Christ from going forth, I will stand against. I side with the man who was crucified beside Jesus who confessed his sin. I too am that man. And I confess my sin. And I stand against the evil of the mob. Now, I had a misunderstanding 
from the time I was a child about what my task was before Jesus. I suspect that many of you have made the same mistake. When I was a child and I would go to church, my father would say, Raymond, please straighten the hymn books in the pews. Please pick up any bulletins that were left from last week. If you see any trash or any dirt, please clean it up, Raymond. And Dad would be about what he needed to do to get the place ready for the worship of Jesus. He would wind the big clock on the back wall. I wish I had that clock. It was a precious symbol to me of my, of my father. It was brought to my home many times where my father would oil it, adjust it, and then rehang it. But I was taught from very early that the way I was to worship Jesus was to be a servant. Now, that was valuable for me to be a servant because it made me humble. My father was an honest servant of the Lord God of heaven. But the Lord has not called us first to be servants in the household of God. Many of you have served in many ways in the body of Christ, and I thank you for your service on behalf of Jesus. But I want to tell you today that it's not first and foremost service that Jesus calls for. I want to tell you today that it is not by the service of the Christian faith that we will overcome the mob actions that are trying to destroy America. We are not going to overcome the evil by heroic acts of service. In Romans, the 12th chapter, that very familiar passage that I have read so many times, it now has new meaning to my heart. Romans 12.1, therefore, I urge you, brothers, sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. I thought my spiritual act of worship was to serve According to the scripture, that is not my spiritual act of service. Rather, my spiritual act of worship is a sacrifice. It is a sacrifice that I must choose to make. It is to be crucified. I'll go to a couple of scriptures just to help you understand clearly what I'm talking about. 
if you go with me to Galatians, the second chapter, Paul writes in this very familiar passage, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, all of Paul's service flowed out of a sacrificed life. I can't tell you the sadness of my heart as I have watched men and women serve in the church year after year. Finally burning out and saying, I've had it, I can't do anymore, I'm exhausted. When the Lord didn't ask them to do that work of service, they thought that was their spiritual act of worship, but it wasn't. Jesus was not after their service, he was after their sacrifice. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. The evil of our day will not be defeated by men and women standing up and trying to enter into the service of righteousness. This evil that has arisen, this powerful force of evil that has been moving in our country for so long, but now has poured out on the streets in socialism and Marxism and progressivism. This evil will not be removed by the church becoming a do-gooder. It will not be removed by feeding the hungry. It must be removed first by the church going fiction. There's another passage that speaks about this. Colossians. Colossians. Let me find it quickly. Colossians, the third chapter. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Colossians 3.1. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. There is no power. There's no power in the church today. We've lost our saltiness. Why? Because we've not been crucified with Christ. We have thought our service was what Jesus required of us. And so you serve in the choir. You serve in the, in the passing out of programs. You serve in the, in the feeding program for the homeless. You, you serve as an usher, as a deacon, as an elder, as a minister, as a preacher. You serve and you serve and you serve. but you were never crucified with Christ. 
And so all of that service just covers over what you're going to do when you get home and the secrecy of your of your own home, the movies you'll watch, the wickedness you'll engage in, the wickedness against your family, your wife, your husband, your children, the lying and the cheating, the stealing, the bitterness and the anger. All of that flowing out of the heart, even as you are full of service for God. The church can't do anything against the powers of darkness that have arisen in our land because the church hasn't been crucified. The church is going to have to die. It's going to have to be crucified. I want to read for you Second Corinthians, the fourth chapter. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. Until you are crucified with Christ, you cannot carry Jesus around in your body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. If you want to touch the lives of other men and women and fill them with the glory of Jesus, you're going to have to die. You're going to have to be crucified. This is not about serving Jesus. This is about being sacrificed. This is about giving up your life for Jesus. Now, please, I'm telling you all of this because there is such a great work that we must do as a church, but we can't do it. Our hands are tied because we have not been crucified with Jesus. How can we pray out of the lust of our hearts? Give me this, do this, do that, Jesus. Go here, go there. As though Jesus was our servant, our lackey, here to do our will. No, I'm here to do the will of Jesus. This self, this this proud, arrogant man has to die on on the cross, with Jesus. I tell you, we sing these songs. All to Jesus I surrender. But have you? Have you surrendered your success? Have you surrendered your reputation? Have you surrendered your prosperity? 
Have you surrendered your entertainment? Have you surrendered your wife and your children to Jesus? Have you said, Jesus, I die that you could live in me? Have you put to death the things of the flesh, the lust, the pride, the arrogance, being somebody? Are you humble before God and before your brothers and sisters? Are you always trying to correct other people and tell them, oh, do it, do it my way, I know, really? Our love must be sincere. And our love for one another cannot be sincere until we've been crucified with Christ. Until we stop conforming to the pattern of this world, until our mind has been renewed, we will be unable to pray effectively against the powerful forces of darkness that have gathered in this nation. America is on the brink of destruction. And the church is powerless. Because the church has lost its saltiness. Because it has not been crucified with Christ. It has not humbled itself before God. We think we have the truth. And so cynicism and anger and bitterness and hostility rise up and destroy the testimony of the church. Oh, my brother, my sister, will you go before the Lord? And would you ask the Holy Spirit if he would crucify you? And if then he would come in and dwell in you. And if he is the Lord of the harvest, would begin to use you for the healing of our nation. America is going to be destroyed if the church does not repent. President Trump cannot turn America around. No politician can turn America around. It is going to be a work of the Holy Spirit of God in bringing another great awakening to this nation. But first, the church must awaken. First, we must repent. And be crucified with Christ. I think about an Old Testament passage of Scripture that I've been considering. See if I can find it for you.
Zechariah, the third chapter. I'm going to just read this for you. Zechariah, the third chapter, verse 1. It's speaking for Israel, but it's also speaking for this last day prophetically. He showed me Joshua. Another name for Jesus. He was the high priest. He was standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan. Satan was standing at his right side to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Oh, my brother, you must be snatched. My sister, you must be snatched from the fire and crucified with Christ. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put rich garments on you. Then I said, Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they clothed him. Well, the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among those standing here. This is what the Lord Almighty says to the American church today. If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among those standing here. Verse 8, listen, O high priest Joshua and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come, I am going to bring my servant the branch, that is, Jesus. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua? There are seven facets on that one stone. And I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. The Lord's removing the sin of America is dependent upon the priests of God having their filthy clothing taken off and having Satan rebuked by the mouth of Almighty God and plucked from the burning. The Church of America must be plucked from the burning. Judgment from God is upon this church and we must be plucked from the fire and stood before the Almighty. And this is what Jesus wants to do for us. He wants to take off our filthy clothes. He wants to dress us in rich clothing, the rich garments of righteousness. And he wants to 
put a new turban on our head or, or put a new mind in us, a new understanding of who Jesus is. In that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. In other words, a day is coming when the church will be made clean and we will have the victory and a great awakening will come. But right now, the forces of evil look as though they will totally destroy America. The mob action, the mayors and the governors who are walking as representatives of the demons of hell. It's not against flesh and blood that we struggle. It's against spiritual powers in high places. But these demons take possession of people and cause them to do all manner of wickedness. And that's what we're facing in America today. Leaders who have been taken over by the dark side. Consider carefully what I'm saying to you today. For your salvation rests on your response. Will you be like the man, the thief, hung beside Jesus who sees the purity and the holiness, the kindness and the mercy that even the Roman centurion says as he watches this man and as he dies, he says, this man was a righteous man. Will you be like that thief cursing Jesus as you go to hell? Or is there a spark in your breast that says, I must, I must confess my sin. I must get right with this king, with this Jesus. I deserve what I'm getting. I deserve the emptiness of my heart. I deserve the loneliness of my soul. I deserve the bitterness of my spirit. But Jesus, would you remember me? What is your cry before Jesus? Almighty one of Israel, Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, I come. I come to offer the sacrifice of crucifixion in my life. That your Holy Spirit could come now and take full possession and rule over me and over your church. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. I hope this message has been helpful to you. Would you subscribe on YouTube and would you hit the like button? That helps Google post us in more places. We need to get to 400. That would mean five more people. I also want to tell you that you can donate online 
go to our webpage, and the upper right-hand corner on the menu, there is a donate button. If you'll click that donate button, a new window will open that will allow you to give online. We are still $900 plus short for this month for radio. I am very concerned. I am crying out to Jesus, and I am standing by faith that he will move in your hearts as he has every month to give. I know times are difficult, but I also know the Lord blesses those who are willing to give. So would you give online, or would you write to me at the National Prayer Chapel Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Some of you I've not heard from this month. I'm very concerned about you. God bless you, my brother and my sister. Tomorrow will be a day of prayer. I ask that you join immediately at 1 o'clock and join us and cry out before the Lord cry out for our nation we need to have the Holy Spirit come in power we need a third great awakening I love you my brother and my sister it's a pleasure to minister to you I'm concerned for you I'll talk to you soon Christ.